Everybody tells time a little bit different. You know, we, we, uh, we, we tell time by different manners, different things. Sometimes we count down. Sometimes we, we count up. Uh, sometimes we count in years. And then sometimes we count in minutes. Sometimes we count in just seconds. Sometimes we count birthdays. Then you get to a certain point, and you don't count birthdays anymore. Sometimes when you're real young, you count half birthdays and even quarter birthdays. Those are important times. Sometimes we count by our losses. This is our fifth Easter without dad. It's our third Easter since the fire. Sometimes you count by what you've gained. This is our first Easter here together in this new building. All the way through the Gospel of John, Jesus has been keeping time. He's been keeping time with the cross. Back in chapter 2, at the wedding feast in Cana, when he turned the water into wine, he told his mother, woman, the hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. A couple chapters later, when he's at the well in Samaria, talking to the, the woman at the well, a woman who is desperately in need of change in her life, he promised her an hour is coming when everything would change. And that night that he spent in the garden praying, Sweating drops of blood, he said, the hour has come. And then we come here to the cross in John chapter 19. And in his final words, it's no longer an hour is coming. The hour has not yet come or the hour is here. His final words complete his time here, completes his work on the cross. We're in John chapter 19. Just verses 28 through 30, if you're using the Bibles we provide for you, they're on page 906. John, who witnessed the crucifixion, standing next to Jesus' mother, John writes this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, none of us have experienced anything close to what that death on the cross was. None of us could ever understand the agony and the, the torture of that. None of us could understand the weight of dying for the sins of, of millions of people. And none of us know that kind of agony or the kind of peace that the embrace of death brings in a moment like that. We do know in, in so many ways and in so many contexts in our own life, we know what the words, it is finished, mean. From a, a mother who is told, one more push. <laughs> one more push and it is finished. <laughs> to the graduate who is handed that diploma, tassels moved and they're told, it is finished. To the carpenter who nails in that one last nail, we understand those words, it is finished. There's a sense of relief in those words. There is a, a sense of, of satisfaction in those words of realizing that the job is over. And no matter how painful the process, 
the joy of the completion outweighs the pain. I really think that's the only way we can approach these words of Jesus here. That's the only way in our limited understanding that we can hear those words. We can never know what He suffered for us. We can never know the pain. We can never know the humiliation. We can never know that kind of death. But I think we can know the relief. The relief that the job is over, that the work is done, that it is finished. Such a simple statement. And yet I think in these words we find our hope. We find peace. We find a reason to believe in something greater than ourselves. These words give us a view of the holiness of God while reminding us that we are sinners, that we have fallen short. In fact, in these very words, I think the first thing that we, that we realize, the first thing that these words remind us of is that our sin must be extremely horrible. Today being Easter is a day when we celebrate new life. We celebrate resurrection today. And we sing the songs. I, can never, I just can't wait for the Easter songs when we sing those songs. We sing the songs, we rejoice because the grave could not hold Him, because Jesus rose again. But looking at the cross and reading these final words, I hope we see the finality of that statement. It is finished. It is done. And then He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. Jesus was dead. And it was our sin that took Him to the cross. It is impossible for us to truly face the cross of Christ, to truly look into its meaning and not feel ashamed for the things that we've done. It's impossible to see the cross and not feel shame for what we've done, to not realize, I did this to Him. Our sin, our failings, the misery of our mistakes drove Him to the cross. We know that we've done wrong. You know, no one denies that. We're not here because we've done something right. <laughs> we know we've done wrong. No one claims to be perfect. But we never really, we never truly see the depth of our wrong until we see the cross and realize that there was a price that had to be paid for our sin. And Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it for us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes those words, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We hear that phrase, and it just kind of naturally rolls off our tongues. We say it very, very naturally. We, it just flows. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But really listen to it. You, you have sinned. You have fallen short. You have missed the targets. You have been weighed. You have been measured, and you have been found wanting. And there is nothing you can do about it. But those words, it is finished. They remind us of more than just the horror of our sin. Those words remind us that God's love must be wonderful beyond our comprehension. You know, you look back through the Old Testament and you really examine God's response to sin all the way through the Old Testament, you see God's reaction, you can go all the way back to the garden, all the way back to Genesis, and there in the garden, Adam and Eve sin, and what does God do? He kicks them out, throws them out of paradise. They're done. Just a few chapters later, you can uh, go to Genesis chapter 6, and you find, Moses, or you find Noah 
Or you can go to the theater, you can see Russell Crowe do this. Uh, I don't recommend it, but you can. Uh, you can go to the theater and see Russell Crowe, and, and God's had enough. He's had enough of the wickedness of men, and so he floods everything and wipes everyone out except for the eight people that survived on the ark. You can go over to the next book, go on over to, to uh, Exodus. God's got the people of Israel out there in the wilderness, and he's had enough of them. And God tells Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to wipe them all out and start over again. And Moses says, no, no, you're not going to do that this time. Over and over again, you see just how far we've fallen and just how offensive, how offensive our sin is to God. And then you come to you and me. God could have abandoned us to our fate. He could have let us reap the fruit of our sin. He told us the wages of sin is death. And God could have simply said, let them die. But he didn't. For the first time, he didn't kick us out. He didn't wipe us out. Instead, he gave us his son to live for us, to die for us, and to give us the forgiveness that we so desperately needed. Did he do it because we're so much better than Adam and Eve? No. Did he do it because we're more righteous than Noah? No. Because we're, we're better at following him than Moses? No. Obviously not. It's because all of those events, all of those pointed ahead to something greater, to a justice that's greater than judgment, to a covenant that's better than condemnation. It pointed ahead to the fact that God loves us with an amazing and limitless love. It points to what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 5, where he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And we know His love. We know His love through these final words on the cross. But it's not only the, the greatness of God's love that we see in those words, it is finished. The other thing that we have to see in those words is that salvation must be a free gift. It has to be free if it is finished. This is our first Easter in the new building. It's our first Easter with, uh, with so, many, so many people have gathered here with us and so many people have been such an important part of us over the last year. It's, it's been an amazing time. It's, a, it's hard to believe it's just been a year. I feel like we've been here forever. I just feel like, like we've been doing this for a long time, but it's, it's not even been a year. It's been 11 months. We were supposed to be here last Easter, but that didn't work out. And the reason we weren't here last Easter is because it wasn't finished yet. So we weren't here because it wasn't finished. So we waited a year. And over the course of the year, over the course of the last 11 months, we've had some great times in here. We've had concerts. I mean, people, people played like rock and roll music up here, okay, to the glory of God. And there's been Southern Gospel. There's been all kinds of stuff. There's been some wonderful things happen, an incredible ladies' retreat that's happened. There's been a lot of great, trust me, a lot of great dinners out there. This last week, 25, 25 high school kids came for lunch on Wednesday, and, and they prayed, and they were served, and they were blessed. And that, that's incredible, 25. That's, that's how many were in my graduating class. So I'm guessing there's maybe a few more than that. That's at least a quarter of the population of our high school came here 
for lunch last week. And they do that every week. It's amazing. There's been wonderful things happening. And amazing things have happened over the last 11 months. And other things have happened too. Other things like the ground has settled a little bit. And there's been a few cracks here and there. You know, I can't help it. Uh, and you may have noticed the new molding. Do you notice the new crown molding? Going up. The, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Molding covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> Right? There's a few cracks in the walls here and there. And, and that's to be expected. A building this size is going to settle, you know. That just, that's just part of it. And, and so the, the carpenters came back, the contractors came back this week, and they added that crown molding, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. They were here for maybe three days doing that and put it all up. It's out there. It's in here. Is it finished? <laughs> no. Not as long as the earth continues to spin. Not as long as the ground continues to settle. Not as long as kids continue to run and do kid things. And not as long as adults continue to do adult things. And and not as long as paint continues to chip. It's not going to be finished here. We don't finish things here. These final words from the cross. It is finished. You know, in Greek, it's one word. It's actually just one word in the Greek. It is finished. It's just one word. And the construction of that word is very particular. The construction of that word actually says, not only is it finished, but it will be finished forever. It is done, and it will always be done. It's not like a graduate who works hard and gets all the way through high school, gets the diploma, and then turns around and starts all over again as a college freshman. Works hard all the way through college, and then it is finished. Oh, wait, I'm going to go back to grad school. I'm going to get a, get a master's degree. It's not like that kind of finished. It's not like the retiree who spends a couple of years enjoying retirement and then gets bored and says, I think I'd like to be a greeter at Walmart. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but it could happen. You know, it's not like that. It's not like the contractor who comes back a year later and patches a few things up and slaps on a new coat of paint and says, that'll hold you for another year. It is finished. The job is done. It is done perfectly. And it is done forever. And it was done for you. Because you couldn't have done it perfectly. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. But you could not have done it perfectly. You couldn't have paid the price. Why? Well, because because your sin is extremely horrible. Well, yes, because your sin is extremely horrible. But that's just part of it. Also, because your love is limited. I know you, you, you're, you're, got, you're great people. You really are. But your love is limited. It's, it's finite. There's only so much you can do. And you had a debt to God that you simply could not pay. You could never finish. But because of who Jesus is and because of God's love for you, it is finished. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was done for you. Think about that. Think about every time you've messed up. Think about everything that you've messed up. Every opportunity that you've lost. Every relationship that's been messed up. Every marriage. Everything that you have messed up about your future. And everything that you have messed up about your past, every hurt 
that you have ever experienced. And every time you have either been told by someone else or you have realized it yourself, I am just not good enough. None of that matters because it is finished and it always will be finished. He paid the price you could never pay. Jesus put an end to all of that. No matter how hard you tried, no matter how good you were, no matter how many chances you were given, you could never do it yourself. It's become very popular lately to speak of God as the God of second chances. Have you heard anyone say that? VeggieTales told me that, that God is the God of second chances. I hear a lot of preachers say that. I hear a lot of Christians say that. God is the God of second chances. Amen. That's great news, isn't it? And they present that as though it's, as though it's good news. You know, if, if you've screwed up your life, if you've failed him, don't worry. God gives you second chances. They present that as good news. And I want to tell you something. Second chances are not good news. Second chances are not good news. I want you to hear that. God has given you a second chance. There is, a, there is pressure in that statement. God has given you a second chance, so don't blow it this time. <laughs> right? Don't blow it this time. God has given you a second chance. Don't mess this one up. And so you just struggle all the more. Or even worse, people will say, well, God, God gives you infinite second chances. And suddenly grace is cheap. The cross loses its meaning. And this becomes easy. I want to tell you, the good news is not that God gives you second chances. If, if you take that as good news, you will be shackled to your second chances forever. You will be in bondage, imprisoned by your second chances. Listen to this very carefully. God does not have a second chance for you. God does not have a second chance for you. You have one chance, one perfect chance chance that was taken for you by Jesus Christ, our Lord. He took the chance for you. It's not about you. Can we agree on that? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how bad you've screwed up in the past. It's not about how much better you are this time or how much you're going to try harder next time. It's not about you. You have one shot at salvation the free gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. Friday night, I got, I got sent on an errand Friday night to Walmart. So I was driving to Walmart. And I was listening to my music. I have a, this wire that comes out of my dash and it plugs into my phone. And my phone, it's an I, you know, iPhone, it's got all the music on it. So I've got the mu- And I was playing it really loud. Because I was really enjoying it. I really needed to listen to it. And I'm... I'm listening to this song really loud, and I'm, you wouldn't have wanted to be there. I was screaming along. I don't sound a thing like these people. Um, in my car, I think I do. But I'm screaming along and just, just singing out to this song, and all of a sudden I hear this noise because my phone is my music. And I hear this little noise, and the noise goes like that. And I knew what it was. It was a message. And I, my phone is tied in. Everything's cool. I'm not breaking any laws, but... This message came through at that moment. It was a message from a friend of mine. And um, he, um, he was baptized about two months ago. Just came to faith. He's trying so hard. He, he really is. 
But I got this message from him, and I want to read it for you. Keep in mind, this was Friday night. He said, I have had a hell of a three days. And all I can think of is, was I not faithful enough when I got baptized? Did I not pray hard enough? Did I mention it was Friday? Did I mention it was Good Friday? (laughs) And I had just left a Good Friday service where we concentrated on the cross, where we left in darkness, very aware of our sin, but also very aware of of the payment, and on my mind and in my heart were three words. It is finished. And when I read his question, did I not pray hard enough? Was I not faithful enough when I was baptized? It is finished. It's been settled. It's done. And it always will be done. And his mistake is not unusual. And, and he's going to learn. He's going to do so much better. I, I just know he is. His mistake's not, not unusual. But we, we've all done it. We've all done it. When we've come to that moment when we just didn't feel like it was enough. We just didn't feel like we had done enough or that we were deserving enough or that we had screwed up way too much. He was finished. You realize in that moment what you're saying to Jesus the only guy, the only one who could pay the price. What you're saying to Jesus in that moment when you say it's just not enough, you're saying, you didn't suffer enough, Jesus. You need one more nail, Jesus, because my sin is just that bad. You didn't suffer enough. You didn't, you're not dead enough for me, Jesus. Not for my liking. You need to suffer more. That's not enough. Those words, it is finished. They tell us that we can trust what he has done for us. He's not going to come back later and tack on another payment. He's not going to come back later and say, well, you've messed up since then and I'm going to need to make some more repairs. I'm going to have to charge you a little bit more. No matter what you've done, No matter what you have become, the message of the empty tomb is that your debt has been paid. And the only question is, will you accept his gift? Will you accept his payment? Every moment that we take, when we look at our screw-ups, when we look at our need for a second chance, when we look at how much more we're going to try the next time, how much better we're going to be the next time, every time we do that, we put our eyes on ourselves and what we can do and how we're going to save ourselves. Guess what? You're not. You've got to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth, the things that you have done, the mistakes that you have made, and even the victories that you've had, they will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. You're not saved by your second chance. You're saved through one chance. The grace of God poured out for you with the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Turn your eyes upon Him.
today, if you need to take that chance, if you need to take that as yours, we want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. We want to welcome you. We want to let you know that you've got a, we got a church full of losers who couldn't get it right the first time themselves. <laughs> and we've only got one chance, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's good enough for us. It's good enough for you too. Let's stand together as we sing.